I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. My guest today is Andrew Swiler, CEO of Lantaria.com, the leading HRMS for Microsoft users. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Celine. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, before we jump into what I'm sure is going to be a fascinating conversation, and I already have lots of questions, I'm going to ask where the question I always start with, which is the name of the podcast is Leading Through Crisis. Uh, when you hear that phrase, uh, what comes up for you or what, you know, what's top of mind? So for me, uh, it's still top of mind. I mean, we we acquired Lanteria about a year ago. Uh, the previous owners were from Ukraine. Uh, when we took over, pretty much the entire company was Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian employees. We had a handful of employees in North America. <clears throat> so we took over a company uh, three months after the war started. The employees were very concerned about now working for somebody that was not Ukrainian. They thought we were basically going to clear house and get rid of them. And so they were also very defensive when we took over. Um, but we had to be essentially from day one, you know, you take over a new company, you want to start setting the pace for what's the, you know, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do to grow this company? And in this case, we pretty much couldn't do that because we had to also be, you know, cognizant of all these people's situations where some people were leaving the country. Some people were living in like very remote areas of the country. Uh, so basically like hiding out. And at one point, I would say three or four months into uh, owning the company, the electricity started going out. So the winter of, of 2022, <clears throat> we had people just disappearing for weeks at a time. And we had to start using on Slack where people, because they could still use their phones on Slack, they would put uh, a light bulb or, or a, a, a plug to basically show they didn't have electricity. So we were basically playing telephone with each other saying like, who could talk, who couldn't talk, who had internet, but no electricity, who had no electricity, no internet. So you know, we were trying to service our clients and bring on new clients while, you know, trying to trying to be sympathetic and empathetic to the people that were, you know, what they were going through, which for me, I have absolutely no idea what they're going through. And I don't, I can't even put myself in their shoes. But all I tried to do was, you know, if somebody said to me like, hey, we need to move next week to do this. I said, like, take as much time as you want. Like, no, those aren't vacation days if you have to drive to the other side of Ukraine to avoid bombings. I, I mean, it. that's definitely not a vacation for anyone. So I, I think that I, I mean, I'm sure they appreciate, but I think it's a really important thing to call out is that w there are crises that happen and things like war, that's a crisis that affects everyone. And that is often the time, it is crises like that. I'm not saying war is the only one, but it is crises like that where we can either and by we, I mean, leaders and organizations can either kind of double down on whatever rules they have or whatever things should look like. And this is the way it has to be this way, because then everyone follows the same rule or yeah. they lean into what's a compassionate thing to do in this moment that may not follow the exact rule. They may be taking too many days off. We might be dealing with whatever the case may be, but there's compassion behind it so that their experience of this crisis is as and I pleasant is not the right word, but is as navigable as possible. Yeah, 
Yeah. And a lot of times what, what was hard to see, I actually became friends with another CEO at the same time that was, he was from Ukraine. He had escaped before the war started and we kind of compared notes once in a while and we would chat about it. And what we found is that people really, they wanted to work and they were ended up working more hours than they did before because it was just something that kind of closed their brain off into this. They could put on their headphones. I mean, a lot of them are developers, put on their headphones, not think about it, but you know, if they don't have electricity, they can't do that. But we were finding guys that were, that their electricity would be off for eight hours a day. And then they would work eight hours at night to, to make up for the work that they had missed because they were like, well, you know, other than that, I'd be listening to like bombs dropping and, and all this. They said, I'd rather be doing this. So, you know, we didn't try and obligate them, but it did have this sort of like secondary effect where they ended up working more, which I tried to sometimes even have to tell them like, Hey, you don't need to be working on a Saturday just because you didn't work, you know, eight hours on Wednesday, like take some time, breathe, like let your brain kind of sit in itself yeah. for a little while. So I think that any merger or acquisition, I like whatever this, and I don't know how, how big the company is. So I'm not making an assumption about the size, um, but any merger or acquisition comes with challenges, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> often multi-layered challenges, yeah. um, yeah. let alone when you acquire a company that is in an actual war zone during a time of war. Yeah. And I'm curious what, so if you were to look back on, and I, and I understand that you still have a, a number, a lot, a significant amount of employees in the Ukraine. It's still, you know, yeah, yeah. the war is ongoing. I'm not diminishing what is currently happening either. But in the time of the acquisition of those, that those few, the start, all those months at the beginning, when you're hoping for, to, you know, to figure out culture and communication and, <laughs> and yeah. all of the due diligence of all the things that are happening even though due diligence happens before, what are some of the things that you learned good or bad um, that may be, you know, might be different from other mergers or acquisitions you've done before, or maybe not just really reinforce that it doesn't matter what the crisis is. These things are important during these times. That's a good question. I'm, I mean, frankly, I hope uh, I never have to apply the same lessons again. I don't think <laughs> I would do this. I don't think I would do this one again. I, we did it knowing we were getting a very good deal. We were getting a very good company. And we knew the risks we were taking on. Like we went into this eyes wide open. Like there, yeah. there at no point, if somebody asked me this question, would I be like, oh my God, I, I can't believe it. it was like, no, no, no. I saw it all. Yeah. I knew all the things that were in front of us and we still did it because I knew this was a good opportunity for us. Now, what I do think that I've noticed is that some things got clouded because of the war where mm. certain decisions that I would have made very quickly, like gut feelings of saying like, this person is not going to work. We let drag on because of the war, because we were worried if we let go to this person, what is the domino effect this is going to have on these other people? Because they had their psychological safety was very thrown off because of the war yeah. because of the acquisition and you throw it all together. And then it's like, Oh, and they're going to fire this person that some people saw certain people as like these key pieces that had been there for eight years in the company and getting rid of those was seen as like, wait a second, if they can get rid of that person, like I'm easily on the chopping block. But what they didn't see was, you know, 
certain people just weren't contributing war or not war and they weren't going to be a good fit regardless and i would have made some of those decisions much much faster and some of them i delayed for almost a year um and and like i knew when i finally made the decision and pulled the trigger it was like i knew this 12 months ago like from week one you knew it and you tried to push it on for cultural for safety reasons and it was a mistake unfortunately like that that dragged us on i wouldn't say it cost us anything but it was something that should have been done earlier and it got dragged on because of the war mm-hmm. do you think that um the the experience of the people who might have been affected so not the person that the individuals you're talking about who you had to make a decision about but that the cascading effects on other people that you were talking about do you think that knowing what you know now about those other people about the how the you know the culture internally was do you think that from their perspective it would have had the impact you thought it might have had or you were afraid you know you were i'm gonna call it afraid you were afraid of it potentially having or do you now do you say actually i think they're they would have been fine with it and i just didn't know enough at the time to know that i don't know because there were a lot of examples like i mentioned you before the the there were examples that we tried to create some compassion we tried to say you know if somebody needed to we weren't caught you know costing them vacation time because they needed to go move across the country or they were escaping the country they saw a lot more compassion over the months and saw we weren't like there to just put a hacksaw to every person in the company and just you know, try and take the resources and move on. So they realize, like, wait a second, these guys do want us to work with it. They want to work with us. They want to keep us on. You know, we tried to show that. And I think as we demonstrated, even some of the weaker people that they knew were weak that stayed on, um, I think they saw like, hey, this this is more of just this person's not pulling their weight or this person's not going to work out. And I think if we had done it right away, it might have caused a little bit more of a rift or or just complete distrust in us um so it's it's really hard to say because we didn't do it i mean i think the first person that we fired was probably five or six months five months in we we fired together i mean he it it basically came to a point where he was gonna go across the border he asked me for like four months of his salary up front because he needed to pay the border crossing people and i said to him listen i'm gonna pay you i'm gonna give you this money but I'm going to fire. This is your severance package because it, this just isn't, you've been too, you've disappeared for weeks at a time. I know you're going through this, but I said, the team just isn't feeling like you're supporting us, but I right. want to help you because you're a good person. So we gave you money to get across the border, but we said like, that's it. So uh, we tried to be compassionate as much as we could, but eventually you do need to push things forward. Of course. And I would say even in a situation like that, and I do want to call it out, that is a very compassionate way of dealing with it, right? Like to say, here's your salary, but we're going to consider it a severance package because it's someone who you were looking at not having around anyways. That is a really compassionate thing to do. And it lets him or her, them, go find another opportunity with some cushion for whatever that looks like. That is a really compassionate thing to do. And I think there is, and I recognize, you know, in asking a theoretical question that there's no (laughs) solid answer. So I appreciate, you know, the the thought experiment nature of what I asked. (laughs) I do appreciate it. And I think it's also 
something that is helpful for folks to hear about because I think oftentimes we look at the past and we look at the things that have happened and the way we what if isn't actually helpful for a future situation. It's yeah. the right. And there are ways to what if that can be helpful. So yeah, the first few months, probably to your point with all the change and people were, were suspicious and weren't sure. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, maybe suspicious. not firing, right. Not firing anyone for the first few months, probably good. Five months, first person you let go, people seem to manage it. Okay. Continue to build trust. Maybe you could have gone faster from that point. Maybe that's the what if learning, but I think both things can be true, right? It's not yeah. a what if blow up the scenario, but a, we probably did the right thing and waiting a bit. And we probably could have expedited a bunch of the other people that we had. Yeah. The, low, the lower hanging fruit that, that was probably there. I mean, this was also a unique company in the sense that it, for, I mean, we're a technology company. There were a major, most of the people in the company had been with the company over seven years, which in technology is like, it's like dog years. That's like 50 years in a technology company when you look at people's resumes. Yeah. So there people had been there for a long time. There was a lot of tribal knowledge that was not documented. And so we also had this feeling of like, if I let go of this person, what happens when they disappear? So we did end up waiting a long time for some of that too. Like <clears throat> there were some people, you know, sales and marketing wasn't as important, but some people on the tech side, it was like, we need to figure out how important this person is. But beyond that, like we need to get their knowledge. So, and, and we're still de navigating this. Like we we've hired a new CTO, uh, took us almost a year to bring on a new CTO. And he's still sort of navigating this to tell people like, listen, guys, this company was sold over a year ago. You cannot, we're trying to document, we're trying to share knowledge. Like what if we had four or five more people, this team, how are we going to give them that knowledge? Because mm -hmm. it can't be just you one-on-one -on -one explaining things to them. It needs to be documented. And we're still struggling with it where people, it's like, if I give you this information, am I expendable after that? And it's really hard to get people to understand they work in a machine and not, it's just them with their, like their, their special gift to fix things. And it, it, it needs to be documented. It needs to be understood. It needs to be like a hive mind. And we're still struggling with that just because it was something that the company didn't do prior to us stepping in. So I have a question about this. I'm curious. I, and I also have comment to be fair, but I'm curious. So what you said about, um, you know, a lot of people who'd been there had been there for seven years, which is, you know, mm -hmm. 500 dog years and, in North America, generally in speaking, in tech. Um, yeah. Is that more typical, air quote typical, of the culture of organizations, tech or not, in the Ukraine in general? I don't know. And I'm you might not have an answer. I couldn't answer, answer but that. Okay. I, I don't I, know. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. That's, it's a good question. I honestly haven't thought about it to even investigate. <laughs> I know that the previous owners were well-liked. Uh, in fact, one guy at one point, when we asked him like what he liked about working for the company, he said, and it's funny because these guys are like Eastern European. They're like very straightforward, very rational mm -hmm. things. He said, well, I used to like the owners of the company, but I don't know you. 
<laughs> that's like a gauntlet taken off and thrown down right there i used to like who i worked for what are you gonna do now yeah. i love that yeah, i was like yeah i was it was an amazing conversation i started laughing in the conversation i was like, it's like i don't know how to answer that, that comment but i said i don't know if you're being serious joking or a little bit of both but okay yeah <laughs> I, I hear you yeah so the part of the reason i i and totally fair that you don't have an answer to the question I asked or that's not something you thought of. Part of the reason that I, I'm curious about things like that is because it, um, it can create cultures and organizations where the idea that the knowledge I have is my value and I need to keep my knowledge to myself and have yeah. be the holder of all knowledge it can really, really reinforce that in the culture of organize of organize of some organizations, and it's not a one to one thing. But I've seen that really often. You know, in Canada, there are lots of starting to change. But when I started my career a while ago, there were a lot of people who would work for a company, and they were planning on being there 10, 20 years. That was there. It was all about the longevity of where you were that was more important than anything else and as a result it was knowledge hoarding because yeah i'm important when i have knowledge that you need and yeah. the the in tech organizations especially nowadays tech cultures the value is in actually being able to share and disseminate and teach other people that's how you get then you can learn more things and then you can elevate yourself and that's where the opportunity is and it's a really different mentality yeah, I mean, that is the definition of like scaling a company and scaling an organization is, is it's like I said, it's a machine with this knowledge. And if you share that knowledge, you can bring more people in under you, and then you can be on top of them, you know, helping them grow. I, I mean, the issue is when you have people that have stuck around that long, I think that they struggle to yeah, they struggle to see that if they haven't seen it grow. If you've seen a company, you know, you've been at Meta since it was, there was 100 people and you've seen it grow to what it is now, you know what what's going on there. But you're also now like the VP of something or like an amazing individual contributor. I mean, we're in the case of a company that was pretty much flat in sales for five or six mm -hmm. years. They were all comfortable. Um, I would say that the, everyone was underpaid. Like when we came in, we gave everyone a salary bump because their salaries were ridiculously underpaid. But they, yeah, they just have this, like, it's a hoarding mentality of, of information that's going to keep me safe because you need this information for me. And even when we've moved people over to other roles, they're like, hey, do you want to do this role instead? Because it seems like it would be a better fit. We, it, we struggle to get that information from them. Even saying like, I'm going to pay you more. I'm going to move you over here, but I need you to train or build out a training for this. And they're like, well, just tell the person to come to me when they have questions. And you're like, guys, this is... This isn't how it works. Like it's put it on paper, put it in, like we use Confluence, like get into Confluence, make Loom videos, make it however you want. I'm like, I don't even care how it's documented. It just has to be documented. And we're still struggling with that mentality. And and I think until you show what growth looks like, yeah, then people are like, oh, shit, I don't want to train four people one-on-one. -on -one. I would rather just do it once and forget about it then we might be able to see a change, but we're still sort of at this phase where like we're adding a few people. We haven't gotten to the point where we can really scale it much faster. Yeah. So I'm going to, as we talk about some of this, I'm going to 
ask you so we are gonna there will be people listening who will know what lantaria is there are gonna be people listening who do not know and when i said hrms they'll be like a a, a what now what's a what's a that and An so hr because, management system there we go <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what that means what that encompasses <laughs> what why that's important because we're talking about culture and we're talking about team stuff and hr management system systems often have impacts on all of these things in very specific yeah. ways <clears throat> so let's talk about that can you tell me a little bit about that explain it for those yeah listening who are well, like I mean what the what HR management systems, the, the, the one of the interesting parts about mm-hmm. HR software is it's one of the few pieces of software besides email that everyone in the company will touch at some point. So you need to develop the software where everyone can use it because accounting systems get used usually by the accounting team. Maybe you send in an invoice, uh, you know, CRMs, those get used by different different parts of the company. But HR is the only one where you're doing time and attendance. You're doing, you know, getting all your documents there. Uh, everything that's about your pay slips, about your pay stubs, about pretty much all the information lives inside of the HRMS. So it is one of the few pieces of software that touches the whole organization. So it is a valuable piece of infrastructure for companies. Now, the way you know you would market an HRMS is you most companies say it's a hire to retire system, and everything in between that HR needs is managed inside of our system. Now the question is, what does that mean? Because that's a very wide span of time. But let's say, I mean, you can start with like core HR, which is the the middle, like the the core piece of the of the product, where if you are the HR manager, the direct manager of somebody or the direct report, like the the employee, everybody can see all of the documentation for that employee from their hiring, um, even even before that, like the 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 um, what's it called? like uh, predictive index as an example. We can have their predictive index score from when they came into the company, uh, all the interview information that came in from the ATS inside of that core HR. So you can see sort of how they got in there. Then you can see, you know, all their pay stubs, payroll information, but all their contract information, uh, and then <clears throat> all their time in attendance, everything that has to do with uh, their their vacation time, uh, when they were sick, all their information about their their health benefits, and then from there you can also get into if companies implement performance management, uh, everything that has to do with their one-on-ones, with their 360 reviews, anything that has to do with employee engagement surveys. So if that employee filled out an employee engagement survey, all of this can live inside of their one profile, just as an example. Like, so a, a manager can see like, what is this employee? What have they done inside of our organization? What has been their progress? What is the weekly progress? Even <clears throat> if the that's the inter- if they're very well set up where they're doing one-on-ones weekly, like you can see the documentation of those one-on-ones and the one-on-one should be about their goals, their objectives, their growth inside of the company. So you can follow that whole trajectory inside of the HRMS. <clears throat> and then beyond that, you can get into learning management. So onboarding people, offboarding people, where you're getting all of their training inside of one place. You can see what they've done. <clears throat> Excuse me. The learning management can also be inside of, uh, you know, as they go through the, a lot of our companies that we work with, maybe trucking companies or uh, oil and gas companies, they have certain certifications that their employees need. Right. You can build out your LMS with that specific um, 
information and specific teachings that they need to keep their certifications and run it specifically through there and see the, the HR manager can see like this person completed their entire program. Now they can go do the examination. That examination is done. Okay, now it's inside the system. Um, so it really is a system that can handle anything around document repository, information about the employee, information about your entire entire system uh, of employment. And it, depending on the, the company as well, I mean, you can run your payroll through there. You can run your benefits through there. Uh, yeah, there's there's even now employee engage uh, employee engagement systems where you can be doing um, like companies have have these very cool uh, ways of doing like offering uh, offering things to their employees for um, to go to restaurants, to go on vacation, to get hotel rooms for for at discounts, where it all runs through the the HRMS. So it's really anything that has to, that might touch with an HR, but like that em employees need to know about their employment and what their employer can offer them. So I appreciate that explanation. And I'm really curious. Um, we were chatting before we hit record about how um, challenged some HR teams <clears throat> are. No offense to any HR teams listening, uh, but how challenged some HR teams are to uh, think outside of whatever they're currently doing or system they're using or their current experiences or what they're familiar with when it comes to things like this and how, um, uh, Oh, I forgot the word I was going to use, but you know, how a lot of HR that is being done is really focused on the rules and regulations of things on compliance yeah. is one of the words that you used more than, engagement more than growth more than the experience of the people in the organization and it sounds like a lot of you know some of the things you're talking about the opportunity there's an opportunity for this system for systems for software to actually help the experience help with engagement help with gross it can actually gross with growth i just i'm making <laughs> up words here uh help help with growth rather than just being like this thing in the background that no one thinks about or the one way that we use this is for you know payroll we know this one thing yeah and i'm curious if you can and also tell me if i have if i'm way off base very comfortable being way off base and if not or if so like what could that look like what are are there trends you're seeing? How does that work? What is that? What is that? Uh, I mean, the ultimate <clears throat> the ultimate pain point that HR teams have right now is exactly what they say. They want to move away from the compliance. Like I hate, you know, if you go into like an HR Facebook group, uh, which I spend a, a lot of time. <laughs> Amazing. <as the> <laughs> yeah, Amazing. I spend, I, spend, I mean, I'm not, an, I'm not from the HR world. So I've basically thrown myself into it and just, uh, like we have our own podcast where I just invite real HR people on to explain to me what they do. Like I'm an idiot from the outside. I'm like, Hey, I run this company, but I, we want to make it better for you. So yeah. I have them come on, explain what they do, what they like, what they don't like. And then I sit in Facebook groups and chat with people. <laughs> that's my important work. So I, I'll hear people's. I feedback. love that for the record. I love that. I think that's amazing. It's it's I think it's actually kind of fun. Like I, I like the HR space because you do meet people that they care about people, which is, uh, you know, rare in companies like these are the people that actually care about the people working there, which 
Uh, if you go into the finance department, that's not going to be the case, which is usually where I come from. Um, so HR is like a welcome, fun community for me. So the when you talk to them, the thing is always like, oh, I hate compliance. I don't want to be dealing with compliance. Get this off my plate. I want to deal with the people. I got into this to coach people, to help them grow, to help them get better. And But they end up spending 90% of their time on compliance. So the ideal HRMS is something that you can automate the workflows for that compliance. I mean, just the example I was using for a trucking company or an oil and gas company. You need to make sure that everyone's following, you know, sexual harassment uh, training, uh, whatever. There, certain states have certain trainings that are needed. So you want to make sure this person lives in Florida. Okay, they need this, this, and this training. Put it into the LMS and forget about it. So like all of our Florida people get this. This person needs certain licensing to be able to operate our equipment. Put it into the LMS or put it into their uh, their core HR. So we know this is, you know, their license is expiring in X May month in 2025. It'll send them an email. They have to go to the whatever DMV, let's say, and get that uh, fixed. So the ideal HRMS deals with all that for you. So you don't have to deal with it. And what you're dealing with is in performance management and making sure that your managers are actually doing the correct uh, performance management and the one-on-ones and the follow-ups, because that's also where this can step in is, I mean, this is also where HR kind of breaks down is, HR will put these like great plans in place, but where everything breaks down is in the managers. Like you can come up with the best plan in the world. And if you go tell Tim, the manager in finance to go implement it. And he's like, screw that. I don't want to do that. The only way to be able to see that Tim's doing that is inside of the HRMS. You see that Tim is doing his performance management and his one-on-ones with his employees. He's recording them. He's going through each step and each survey and making sure that everything's filled out correctly and that you can review it and not just like box checking. You want to make sure that it's like what we encourage people to do is like, don't make this just a box checking exercise. Make sure this is something that like Tim wants to do. And he's actually going to get real useful information out of it because otherwise it's just going to be another compliance thing that he does mm. and he doesn't want to do it. So we try, like we have our own implementation manager and we try and show them like, okay, this might be something that, you know, could get you that information or get you the, because what you want to know is like, how is this person, like, how are they growing in the company? How are they how do they like the company and get that information up to the HR? But it always breaks down sort of in middle management. Like, I mean, we're usually dealing with companies that are 500 to 5,000 employees. It always breaks down sort of in that area because you might get one department that's great because, you know, Karen is awesome at doing her performance management and then another department that doesn't care. And so a good HRMS is helpful in the sense that it lets you kind of walk through those easy steps of doing whatever OKRs, uh, one-on-ones, weekly meetings, and then making sure that everyone from the CEO to the HR, VP of HR, and the middle managers can all see what's going on with the team under them. Because in the end, performance management is what people want to be dealing with, or they should be dealing with on a, on a day-to-day basis. And I, like, frankly, I think a lot of companies, once they hit a certain level, like when you're a small company, people are the most important part of any company. Like without the people, you can't go anywhere, but at, at an even bigger level, like the bigger companies, they have systems, they have you know brands or they have whatever, and the company could function, but people are still the reason why a company grows or doesn't grow. Like you, I have friends that are investors on Wall Street and they look at Glassdoor as ways to get information on companies that could be good investments in the future or like companies that are undervalued because if their Glassdoor reviews are very high, 
and their their uh, the valuation is lower than what they would expect, they invest in those companies because they know that the people that are happiest are going to be the ones that drive sort of these outsized returns in the future. And I think a lot of like middle market companies kind of forget about that. They're like, like whatever, we can just plug a new person in. And it really is the people. So the HR people get that, but they also only have so much power at their hands. And like an HRMS, I think is just a tool. Like, I don't think our software is going to make your company like the, the most high performance company. But if you set it up well, it could like be a step towards doing that. Well, to, to you know, what I hear inside of what you just said is, and I appreciate you saying that your software is not the thing that's going to make a yeah. company the most high performing. If only there was one thing that would do that for every company, <laughs> yeah. life would be so much easier. We would be billionaires and, you know, laughing yeah. all of Sadly, it's, there's not just one thing. But no. I, you know, I think it's an important acknowledgement that there are tools, there are systems this type of software is one that frees up time and capacity for the people who can spend time on the people, on the performance, which ultimately is one of the most, if not most important thing for the growth of a company. Because, yeah, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I could not agree with what you stated more, what you were talking about more. Systems, and I always say like, you know, profits, uh, processes, these things are, they are super important. They matter. But none of it matters if the people aren't engaged, if they aren't growing, if they aren't there, if they like none of it, because that can't run without the people. And it matters, yeah. but you need to have the right people and the best people for a variety of things in the right, you know, right people, right seat. That needs to, that that matters that makes a huge difference and, and you need to keep them i mean it, it's it's a huge investment i was i have a good friend of mine that works at spotify and they spend a fortune recruiting people and trying to retain them because <clears throat> he was saying like it takes almost six months to really get somebody up to speed and so if, if we've invested all this money to get them in then we invested six months to get them here and they only stay for 18 months. Like we're not going to get an ROI on that person. And unfortunately in, especially like you said, North America, 18 months is sort of like a normal tour of duty right now for people inside of companies. I get like right now we're hi we're hiring people and I tell people up front, I say, I'm not going to hire you because you haven't kept a job for more than 18 months for the past, whatever, eight years. And that for me is like some people will push back. I say this on Twitter sometimes. People push back like, oh, you're just an employer. You don't get what's really going on. I said, listen, if somebody changed companies six times in eight years, that's not the company. That's the person. Like you can't blame the company if somebody's changed jobs that many times. And unfortunately, that's kind of the market that we're in right now. Or so I, want, I don't know uh, if it's going to change. Well, that, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so I have a question about that because- <clears throat> I think there's a balance to be had personally. Like I, this is just an opinion. I think there's a balance to be had. I agree with you. Generally speaking, if someone has changed jobs six times in eight years, that's not a company thing. Mm -hmm. And I do also think that if someone has changed jobs six times in eight years and you can see real progression in what they were doing or the responsibility or whatever the case may be, because, you know, this company didn't have the money to pay them or to offer them that, but this company did, or 
there was a specific opportunity from a growth perspective that you can really clearly see. And that would yeah. be more of a conference. To me, I I think there are exceptions to that. And I want to, I'm calling that out because I'm curious if you would, and you could disagree with that, but I would see that as being like, I think there are some exceptions overall. I would tend to agree. And there are exceptions. And I'm curious if you would say, yeah, I agree with that or no, you know what? I actually, I still don't think that that is you know, a reflection I, on the, I think in know. the example I gave is an, an extreme case of that. I, I see it a lot. I, I mean, yeah, I, I would say it's extreme, but I see it with, uh, salespeople, like oh. the, the amount of salespeople that apply to jobs for us, like account executives, senior account executives that haven't kept a, a job for over 18 months in since 2010 is insane. Like, I yeah. don't know how they keep getting these jobs, but more power to them because they make good money. Just taking those 18 months of base salaries and moving on. But uh, I I agree. And I think, I mean, in startup companies and technology companies, you can definitely see people that, especially those types of companies where the onboarding process is just, you get thrown into the pit and figure it out. And they go from, you know, product manager to product owner, to CPO, to VP of, of product and like the next company. I can see that. I think a lot of times companies like I do this in our co- like comp- titles can be a little bit inflated. Like I'm not going to pay you a lot, but I can give you this great title that will help you get your next role and you can kind of sell that. And so I do see that happen in that kind of progression. I don't know how much value was actually added in some of those cases or where it was just, Hey, this person, like I, we've hired people just because I know they got great experience in that previous role, even if they were only there for 18 months where it breaks down for me is when you've gone from like big company to big company to big company in, in that way, because then you've just made some good base salaries. Yeah. You know, got out once they got to their performance cycle, uh, once the performance cycle hit one certain area, you just jumped out and you were looking for the next one. And you can see that pattern pretty quickly in a lot of people. And I, I think seeing somebody do five years in a company, I think shows a dedication and like, uh, a desire to kind of build something that you need in like a company like ours, like our vision is we're five years thinking out and we want people that want to be there for five years because that's what we need. I don't want to be, you know, adding a dozen new people in each role over the next five years. I want one person that I can trust that they can build a team under them and we'll let them grow. So, I mean, that's kind of what, that's the way I see it. I, I can see what you're saying, but I think, having that dedication shows something yeah. that others can't. I appreciate and I listen, I appreciate it. And that's why I said push back. I'm not saying that I always, <laughs> yeah. I'm all about the let's share differences of opinions and different, different experiences because we're, we're going to have them. And there's yeah. someone who's going to listen to this. Who's like, I've only ever hired people who jump from job to job and managed. And they've always stayed here for this reason. I've had great results. Like there's going to, it's all about, the different perspectives that I think are really valuable. So I appreciate you. And for certain companies, they look for that. Like I I have a friend that runs an HR software company here and their sales team, they don't expect anyone to stay over 18 months. And so they hire people that want to just churn and burn and just hit the phones as hard as they can get paid a decent amount of money. They can put it on their resume and they can move on to the next place. Yeah. There's, there's shops for everything there's something for everyone that's what we say about other yeah. things and it works here too yeah. um andrew before we wrap up i want to give you the opportunity to if to either 
you know, if there's something that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about to bring it up, if there's something that we talked about that you wanted to emphasize as kind of a wrap up point, because I know we, my favorite conversations are like this, where they're a little bit meandering and all over the place. And also you yeah. can say, no, I'm good. I'm happy with everything. We do. I don't want to add anything else at this point. No, I can, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you, you know that I could talk about account executives and sales people's <laughs> compensation for days and inflated startup, uh, inflated startup, uh, employees and and like job titles uh, i could talk about these things for a long period of time so i don't think we need to dive further into that but i think we've covered a lot of things around, around crisis and and i mean uh, i'm happy to continue the conversation with anyone that maybe has gone through a crisis is dealing with like people in ukraine right now i do get people that reach out to me like when they've heard my story to say like hey we have a team in ukraine like how would you deal with this or this so i'm happy to share experience with people so feel free to reach out to me if they want to get into more details in private, happy to discuss. I love that offer. So I'm going to ask a question: Is Twitter X, whatever we call it these days, is what? that the is that the best way to reach you? What would be the best if someone's listening? They're like, I would actually really like to talk about this. I'd say linked LinkedIn and Twitter. I spend uh, Twitter's like the only besides Facebook groups of HR people. It's pretty much the only social network I really use regularly. Um, a little bit less since it's become X. It's not as not as valuable as it used to be. But LinkedIn or, or Twitter, feel free to reach out to me. I'm easy to find. It's uh, on Twitter. It's Swiler A. And on LinkedIn, it's my name, Andrew Swiler. And they can send, I, th there's no other Andrew Swiler in the world. So I'm easy to find. Congratulations. Uh, send me <laughs> it <laughs> makes life easier. <laughs> so they can send me a LinkedIn message. I get a lot of them. So if I miss it, you might have to send me a second one because my LinkedIn inbox is a dumpster fire of people trying to sell me on courses or or Mine too. Out, outbound email and things like that. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Everyone wants to automate my LinkedIn for me in some way, shape or form. Yeah. 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 If you post like three things on LinkedIn, you get like a hundred ghostwriters reaching out to you instantly. Yeah. Like, do you want to grow your LinkedIn audience? And you're like, oh my yeah. God, please stop. Yes, I feel that. And we will have those links in the show notes for anyone who's listening as well. So you can connect with Andrew um, and I, or, you know, go find some HR Facebook groups and hang out until you find Andrew. Cause apparently yeah. he's going to be in there at some point as well. Yeah. 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 The evil HR lady. I spend a lot of time in there listening to <laughs> their life. Oh, I so, love yeah. that so much. Um, thank you so much for your time today. This was a really valuable conversation. I, I appreciate your perspective and, you know, your experience with Ukraine, while it is specific in that it's a war in Ukraine, yeah. I also think it's a really, it's valuable for people to hear and it can be applied in a lot of other situations that are not just that. Yeah. So thank you very much for sharing as openly as you did. I really appreciate it. And I know it will be of great value to the folks listening. Thanks, Celine. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.